0: Chapter 16 The Ship Part 1 In bed we concocted our plans for the morrow. But to my surprise and no small concern, Queequeg now gave me to understand that he had been diligently consulting Yojo, the name of his little god, and Yojo had told him two or three times over and strongly insisted upon it in every way that instead of our going together among the whaling fleet in harbor... And in concert, selecting our craft. Instead of this, I say, Yojo earnestly enjoined that the selection of the ship should rest wholly with me, inasmuch as Yojo proposed befriending us. And in order to do so, had already pitched upon a vessel, which, if left to myself, I, Ishmael, should infallibly light upon, for all the world, as though it had turned out by chance." And in that vessel I must immediately ship myself, for the present, irrespective of Queequeg. I have forgotten to mention that, in many things, Queequeg placed great confidence in the excellence of Yojo's judgment and surprising forecast of things, and cherished Yojo with considerable esteem as a rather good sort of god, who perhaps meant well enough upon the whole but in all cases did not succeed in his benevolent designs now this plan of queequegs or rather yojos touching the selection of our craft i did not like that plan at all i had not a little relied upon queequeg's sagacity to point out the whaler best fitted to carry us and our fortune securely but as all my remonstrances produced no effect upon queequeg I was obliged to acquiesce, and accordingly prepared to set about this business with a determined, rushing sort of energy and vigor that should quickly settle that trifling little affair. Next morning early, leaving Queequeg, shut up with Yojo in our little bedroom, for it seemed that it was some sort of Lent or Ramadan or day of fasting, humiliation and prayer with Queequeg and Yojo that day. How it was I never could find out, for though I applied myself to it several times, I never could master his liturgies and articles. Leaving Queequeg, then, fasting on his tomahawk pipe, and Yojo, warming himself at his sacrificial fire of shavings, I sallied out among the shipping. After much prolonged sauntering and many random inquiries, I learned that there were three ships up for three years' voyages. The Devil Dam, the Titbit, and the Pequod. Devil Dam, I do not know the origin of. Titbit is obvious. Pequod, you will no doubt remember, was the name of a celebrated tribe of Massachusetts Indians, now extinct. I peered in pride about the Devil Dam. From her, I hopped over to the Titbit, and finally, going on board the Pequod, looked around her for a moment, and then decided that this was the very ship for us. You may have seen many a quaint craft in your day, for aught I know. Square-toed luggers, mountainous Japanese junks, butterbox scaglios, and what not. But take my word for it, you never saw such a rare old craft as the same rare old Pequod. She was a ship of the old school, rather small, if anything, with an old-fashioned claw-footed look about her. Long seasoned and weather stained in the typhoons and calms of all four oceans. Her old Hull's complexion was darkened like a French grenadier's, who has alike fought in Egypt and Siberia. Her venerable bows looked bearded. Her masts cut somewhere on the coast of Japan, where her original ones were lost overboard in a gale. Her masts stood stiffly up like the spines of the three old kings of Cologne. Her ancient decks were worn and wrinkled, like the pilgrim-worshipped flagstone in Canterbury Cathedral, where Becket bled. But to all these her old antiquities were added new and marvelous features pertaining to the wild business that for more than half a century she had followed. Old Captain Peleg, many years her chief mate, before he commanded another vessel of his own, and now a retired seaman, and one of the principal owners of the Pequod, this old Peleg, during the term of his chief mateship, had built upon her original grotesqueness and inlaid it all over with a quaintness both of material and device, unmatched by anything except it be Thorkil's hake's carved buckler or bedstead. She was apparelled like any barbaric Ethiopian emperor, his neck heavy with pendants of polished ivory, she was a thing of trophies, a cannibal of a craft, tricking herself forth in the chaste bones of her enemies. All around, her unpaneled open bulwarks were garnished like one continuous jaw, with the long, sharp teeth of the sperm whale inserted there for pins, to fasten her old hempen throughs and tendons to. These throughs ran not through base blocks of landwood but deftly traveled over sheaves of sea ivory. Scorning a turnstile wheel at her reverend helm, she sported there a tiller, and that tiller was in one mass, curiously carved from the long, narrow, lower jaw of her hereditary foe. The helmsman who steered by that tiller in a tempest felt like the tartar when he holds back his fiery steed by clutching its jaw. A noble craft, but somehow a most melancholy. All noble things are touched with that. Now, when I looked about the quarter deck for someone having authority in order to propose myself as a candidate for the voyage, at first I saw nobody. But I could not well overlook a strange sort of tent, or rather wigwam, pitched a little behind the mainmast. It seemed only a temporary erection used in port. It was of a conical shape, some ten feet high, consisting of the long, huge slabs of limber, black bone taken from the middle and highest part of the jaws of the right whale. Planted with their broad ends on the deck, a circle of these slabs laced together, mutually sloped towards each other, and at the apex, united in a tufted point, where the loose, hairy fibers waved to and fro like the topknot on some old Potawatomi's head. "'triangular opening faced towards the bows of the ship "'so that the insider commanded a complete view forward. "'And half concealed in this queer tenement, "'I at length found one who by his aspect seemed to have authority, "'and who, it being noon and the ship's work suspended, "'was now enjoying respite from the burden of command. "'He was seated on an old-fashioned oaken chair, "'wriggling all over with curious carving,' And the bottom of which was formed of a stout interlacing of the same elastic stuff of which the wigwam was constructed. There was nothing so very particular, perhaps, about the appearance of the elderly man I saw. He was brown and brawny, like most old seamen, and heavily rolled up in blue pilot cloth, cut in the Quaker style. Only there is a fine and almost microscopic network of the minutest wrinkles. "'interlacing round his eyes, "'which must have arisen from his continual sailings in many hard gales, "'and always looking to windward. "'For this causes the muscles about the eyes to become pursed together. "'Such eye wrinkles are very effectual in a scowl. "'Is this the captain of the Pequod?' said I, "'advancing to the door of the tent. "'Supposing it be the captain of the Pequod, "'what dost thou want of him?' he demanded. I was thinking of shipping. Thou wast, wast thou. I see thou art no Nantucketer. Ever been in a stove-boat? No, sir, I never have. Dost know anything at all about whaling? I dare say, eh? Nothing, sir, but I have no doubt I shall soon learn. I've been several voyages in the merchant service, and I think that... Merchant service be damned... "'Talk not that lingo to me. Dost see that leg? "'I'll take that leg away from thy stern, "'if ever thou talkest of the merchant service to me again. "'Merchant service, indeed. "'I suppose now you feel considerable proud "'of having served in those merchant ships. "'But flukes! "'Man, what makes thee want to go a-whaling, eh? "'It looks a little suspicious, don't it? "'Hast not been a pirate, hast thou?' Didst not rob thy last captain, didst thou? Dost not think of murdering the officers when thou gettest to sea? I protested my innocence of these things. I saw that under the mask of these half-humorous innuendos, this old seaman, as an insulated, Quakerish Nantucketer, was full of his insular prejudices, and rather distrustful of all aliens, unless they hailed from Cape Cod or the vineyard. "'But what takes thee a whaling? "'I want to know that before I think of shipping ye.' "'Well, sir, I want to see what whaling is. "'I want to see the world.' "'Want to see what whaling is? "'Have you clapped eye on Captain Ahab?' "'Who is Captain Ahab, sir?' "'I, I thought so. "'Captain Ahab is the captain of this ship.' I am mistaken, then. I thought I was speaking to the captain himself. Thou art speaking to Captain Peleg. That's who ye's speaking to, young man. It belongs to me and Captain Bildad to see the Pequod fitted out for the voyage and supplied with all her needs, including crew. We are part-owners and agents. But as I was going to say, if thou wantest to know what whaling is, as though Telese ye do... I can put ye in a way of finding it out before you bind yourself to it, past backing out. Clap eye on Captain Ahab, young man, and thou wilt find that he has only one leg. What do you mean, sir? Was the other one lost by a whale? Lost by a whale? Young man, come nearer to me. It was devoured, chewed up. "'crunched by the monstrous parmaceti that ever chipped a boat. "'I was a little alarmed by his energy, "'perhaps also a little touched at the hearty grief in his concluding exclamation, "'but said as calmly as I could, "'What you say is no doubt true enough, sir. "'But how could I know there was any peculiar ferocity in that particular whale? "'though indeed I might have inferred as much from the simple fact of the accident?' "'Look ye now, young man. "'Thy lungs are a sort of soft, do you see? "'Thou dost not talk shark a bit. "'Sure, you've been to sea before now, sure of that. "'Sir,' said I, "'I thought I told you that I had been four voyages, "'and the merchant— "'Hard down out of that. "'Mind what I said about the merchant service. "'Don't aggravate me. "'I won't have it. "'But let us understand each other. "'I have given thee a hint about what whaling is— Do ye yet feel inclined for it? I do, sir. Very good. Now, art thou the man to pitch a harpoon down a live whale's throat and then jump after it? Answer quick. I am, sir, if it should be positively indispensable to do so. Not to be got rid of, that is, which I don't take to be the fact. Good again. Now, then, "'Thou not only want us to go a-whaling, "'to find out by experience what whaling is, "'but ye also want to go in order to see the world. "'Was not that what ye said?' "'I thought so. "'Well then, just step forward there "'and take a peep over the weather-bow, "'and then back to me and tell me what ye see there.' "'For a moment I stood a little puzzled "'by this curious request, "'not knowing exactly how to take it, "'whether humorously or in earnest.' but concentrating all his crow's feet into one scowl, Captain Peleg started me on the errand. Going forward and glancing over the weather bow, I perceived that the ship swinging to her anchor with the flood tide was now obliquely pointing towards the open ocean. The prospect was unlimited, but exceedingly monotonous and forbidding, not the slightest variety that I could see. Well, What's the report, said Peleg, when I came back. What did ye see? Not much, I replied. Nothing but water. Considerable horizon, though, and there's a squall coming up, I think. Well, what dost thou think, then, of seeing the world? Do ye wish to go round Cape Horn to see any more of it, eh? Can't you see the world where you stand? I was a little staggered. But go a-whaling I must, and I would, and the Pequod was as good a ship as any, I thought the best, and all this I now repeated to Peleg. Seeing me so determined, he expressed his willingness to ship me. And thou mayst as well sign the papers right off, he added, come along with ye. And so saying, he led the way below deck into the cabin.